0: The sermon text for this morning is John chapter 1, verses 43 through 44. And uh, these verses are part of a section that describe how the Lord Jesus called his first disciples. We know that during his earthly ministry, Jesus called 12 disciples, 12 men to follow him exclusively. And in Jesus' day, many rabbis had disciples, uh, men who spent time together with their teacher in order to learn from him. And we uh, studied last week about how Jesus first called Andrew and another disciple, probably John, the author of this gospel. Jesus called these two men to follow him. Andrew, hearing the call from Jesus and, and ex- receiving it with uh, gladness, Andrew then went and told his brother Simon about Jesus. And he brought Simon to the Lord. And when Jesus looked at Simon, Jesus said to him, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, Cephas is an Aramaic word that means rock. Jesus was declaring that though Simon had many flaws, and weaknesses, God would use him as the leader of the apostles. And we know that's exactly what God did. When we read in the book of Acts about how Simon's ministry began to thrive, where he was um, the key leader in the early church, first preaching to thousands on the day of Pentecost, and then uh, being one of the key voices in the uh, council at Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. Jesus, when he called Simon, knew how he would use him for his uh, glory and for the spreading of the church and the building up of his church. Loved ones, this is a great reminder to us that God does not call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. He often chooses what is weak in the world so that when his power is demonstrated, he is the one who received all the uh, glory and the praise. And God never uh, chooses to use perfect and wonderful people to accomplish his will. Because there are no perfect and wonderful people. right? He only has sinners to choose from. But we see that when he does make the choice, when he does call the sinner to himself, the power that he then demonstrates through that fallen person is for his glory and, and not for our own glory. We are instead blessed beyond measure to be used by God to accomplish his will in this world, as all of the disciples were, um, except for Judas. Now, this is what uh, the Apostle Paul explains in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, as he recalls how he himself was a sinner and undeserving of God's grace. As Paul uh, writes and explains Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that a few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all. And he used these things to bring to nothing what the world considers important so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Paul explaining there that God has united us to Jesus Christ, who is the very wisdom of God. Christ has made us right with the Father. He has made us pure and holy by freeing us from sin, from its penalty and power. And so Paul then saying, now if you want to boast and brag and take pride in anything, boast Only about the Lord. And in our text this morning, we see how the Lord Jesus is continuing to call disciples to himself. We see here about how Jesus called Philip to be a disciple. Philip, who was weak, who was a sinner, who was imperfect, yet the Lord Jesus called him. We read beginning at verse 43. The next day, uh, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Now, the first point I want us to consider this morning in uh, these verses, and in verse 43 in particular, is how they reveal to us the outworking of God's eternal plan how they reveal the outworking of God's eternal plan. Because um, when we read here in verse 43, John chapter 1, that Jesus decided to go to Galilee, it might seem like a small, unimportant detail. You know, we might read this verse and view it perhaps in the same way that we ourselves make uh, decisions in life, Uh, such as, you know, when we decide to go to a particular restaurant or to perhaps shop at uh, a certain supermarket instead of the one that's closer to our house. We think of these decisions as pretty mundane, right? Uh, We know that ultimately whatever choice we make is not really uh, that important. But I want us to notice the way that the verse reads here in the Gospel of John, that Jesus decided to go to Galilee, And he found Philip there in Galilee and said to him, follow me. So Jesus went to Galilee because he knew that Philip was there. And Jesus knew that Philip needed to hear this call. So loved ones, we see that there was nothing random or unintentional about this moment. We need to... See here, as we read about Jesus' decision, we need to see behind it the full force of of God's decree working itself out now in Jesus' ministry as it is being recorded by John. Because by going to Galilee, see Jesus found Philip and called him to be a disciple. Called him because Philip was one of the elect of God. Philip was one who was chosen in Christ before eternity. It's what we see in John 1.43. We see here the plan of God being fulfilled in Philip's life. It's not as though Jesus stumbled upon Philip. But there was intentionality on Jesus' part because he is the good shepherd who came to seek and to save the lost. We see this especially in the description in verse 43 that Jesus found Philip. Now, this word found actually shapes the action in this portion of John's gospel. If you look in your Bibles there in verse 41, chapter 1 of the Gospel of John, we read that uh, Andrew found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah. And then in verse 45, we read that Philip found Nathanael, saying, We have found him whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. People finding others. But we see, ultimately, loved ones, that through all of these means, it was really Jesus who was finding his disciples. In fact, he later explained to them, In John chapter 15, he said, You did not choose me, but I chose you. I am the one who found you. I am the good shepherd who sought you out. See, loved ones, Jesus takes this active role. He is the seeker, He is the finder, because He is the good shepherd. We read from Ezekiel chapter 13. 34 about how God promised that he would be the one who would seek out his sheep. God's people in Ezekiel's time were lost because of their sin. They had wandered away from God's covenant. And the leaders of Israel themselves were sinful and they weren't faithfully leading the people and the true worship of God. They weren't leading the people toward the Lord. You know, it would be like having pastors and elders today who were leading a church away from God and, and not toward God. This is what's happening here in Israel in Ezekiel's time. And so God promised that he himself would seek out his people, that he would be the good shepherd. If you have your Bibles open to Ezekiel 34, Notice in the passage that we read the first reading how God describes the way he will actively seek his people there's there's nothing unintentional about what he promises here it's all the lord's active seeking of his people Ezekiel 34 verse 11 I myself will search for my sheep verse 12 I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered. all those who were taken into exile, all those who are experiencing a pain and, and suffering, God is promising, I will bring them home. I will bring them to myself." And verse 16, "I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. And lastly, verse 22. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. Loved ones, see how active the language is. His search is relentless. The shepherd does not allow himself to rest. He says that my sheep must be found. They will be found. Parents, you might uh, know that horrible feeling of not knowing where your child is for a few moments. You might have experienced that moment when uh, you're at the store and you're looking for something on the shelf and uh, you turn around and, and your toddler is gone. Right? It's, it's a horrible uh, feeling. And, and immediately you leave everything and you go check the next aisle and, and nothing and the feeling oh, gets even worse. And so you rush over to the next aisle and you see, oh, there they are. They're right there, right? They simply wandered off. And that's when you go buy a leash, right? (laughs) And you keep it on them until they're 25, right? It's a horrible feeling of, of losing something that you love that's so precious to you. And it's the same way for us. When we talk about our relationship to God, when God describes the relationship, especially between him and Israel, as they had wandered off, They were sinners, we are sinners, who strayed from God. And what we see here in our text this morning in John chapter 1 is how God poured his energy into finding us. How Jesus demonstrated the fulfillment of this promise by coming to seek and to save his people. That's exactly what we see in our passage this morning. The good shepherd seeking out his sheep. Seeking after Philip and finding him. He came to seek and to save the lost. Well, as we think about this, it's, it's amazing to consider, isn't it, that God's eternal plan, his eternal plan was coming to pass in the lives of these men. As is recorded here in John chapter 1. We see that Philip, in particular here in verse 43, we know he was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. That He was chosen. And God then created all things out of nothing. He, he fine-tuned the universe and he set the planets and the stars in order. He, he filled the earth with life and he ordered all the events in world history to lead up to this very moment when Jesus would walk up to Philip and say to him, follow me. Absolutely amazing. It's breathtaking when you think about the scope of God's plan for his people. See, Jesus choosing of Philip was not in the moment, but it was an election made before time. Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 3. It's an excellent summary of our faith. Uh, Chapter 3, in paragraphs 5 through 6, describe the wonder of God's eternal decree. It says there that those people who are predestined to life, God, before the foundation of the world was laid, according to his eternal and unchangeable purpose, and the secret counsel and good pleasure of his will, has chosen in Christ to everlasting glory, He chose them out of his free grace and love alone, not because he foresaw faith or good works or perseverance in either of these or anything else in the creature as conditions or causes moving him to do this, and all to the praise of his glorious grace. The Westminster Confession underlining the fact that God chose us in Christ Out of his free grace and love alone. See, not because of any merit that he foresaw in us or that he foresaw something worthy of our being chosen. It was all of free grace. And in our election, he has also established the means whereby we will be called in time. He ordained the ways in which we would learn about Jesus and hear the gospel, and be saved. The Westminster Confession of Faith goes on to say that God has appointed the elect to glory. So he has, by the eternal and most free purpose of his will, ordained all the means to that end. He has ordered all the events about how his people will come to faith in time. Loved ones, do you see the wonder and and the glory that's displayed here in verse 43 of John chapter 1? That the moment Jesus decided to go to to Galilee in order to find Philip and and call him as a disciple, that moment was ordained by God before the beginning of the world. See, it, it needed to happen this way because... God had planned it this way from all eternity. You know, in thinking about this and, and, and trying to, in a sense, wrap his mind around the wonder of this reality, uh, Jonathan Edwards, who was a pastor and theologian during the 1700s, he talked about how uh, the world, and in fact, all of history, he said, is simply the stage upon which the drama of redemption, or we might say, of God saving sinners, is acted out. And, you know, Edward's description here is is a wonderful description because so often when you hear uh, philosophers or uh, cosmologists asking the question of, uh, you know, why why is there something rather than nothing? As there... um, observing the, what they call the observable universe. Why, they ask questions like, why is there a universe at all? Uh, why does it function so perfectly uh, with laws such as gravity, laws that are so fine-tuned and, and so perfect to allow for life, and not just life, but complex life, highly ordered life, conscious life, to be able to thrive? Why is there something rather than nothing. And and why is it so beautiful and perfect? Well, loved ones, it's because it was created by an omniscient, wise God. And it was created in order to display his glory in redeeming his people. See, the universe and all of history is simply the stage upon which the drama of redemption, of God saving sinners, is acted out in time and space. You might you know, think about how a theater is built and, and the lights are installed and the stage is, is set up so that when the drama is, is being enacted, what's the focus? The focus is on what is taking place on that stage. See, that's where the action is. And Jonathan Edwards says that it's the same with creation, that the stars... The planets, earth in particular, and all of world history are the stage where the action is, right? The focus is on Christ and his church and how God is redeeming his people in history. Edwards explains that um, the creation of heaven was in order to the work of redemption as a habitation for the redeemed. He quotes Jesus from Matthew 25, who says, Then shall the king say unto them on his right, Come, those blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Even the angels, he says, were created to be employed in this work. And therefore the apostle calls them ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of Salvation that even the angels are employed in the work of God in accomplishing his will for the church. Edward says, As to this lower world, the earth, it was doubtless created to be a stage upon which this great and wonderful work of redemption should be transacted. And so it's amazing to know, loved ones, that Philip, See, Philip was part of this uh, drama that Christ came in the fullness of time to call Philip to salvation. It's also wonderful to think, loved ones, that you and I and all those who have and will come to faith in the history of this world are part of this drama. See, you and I are also living examples of how the eternal plan of God is being fulfilled in history. That you and I were chosen in Christ by the Father before creation, and then in time we we heard the external call of the gospel, perhaps from a preacher or a parent who sat with us and explained the gospel to us, um, or a Sunday school teacher. And at that moment, we put our faith in Christ and were saved. We were lost. And we were found. We see in this passage the eternal plan of God being worked out. Secondly, we uh, see in our passage this morning the effectual call. Uh, the eternal plan, and secondly, the effectual call. It, uh, when the Lord Jesus called Philip to follow him at that moment, we see that Philip immediately responded. He responded because he was chosen in Christ, as we said, before the foundation of the world. And so then when Christ called him in time, when Philip heard the master's voice, it was impossible for him not to receive and rest in Christ. At that moment, Philip was made willing and able to believe. This is what we refer to as the effectual call, that those who are in union with Christ receive all the benefits of Christ's redemption. And this is the the first step we might say in the uh, application of redemption is effectual calling. Effectual means something truly takes effect in reality. It means that it actually works. It's not uh, theoretical or merely a possibility. But effectual calling is that calling by God to forsake sins and to come to him, and it really takes effect. As uh, Jesus taught us, he said, many are called outwardly without effect, but few are chosen, few are effectually called. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 14. While many outwardly hear The gospel message, we know that only some respond, but those who do respond are the ones whom God calls effectually by his word and spirit. Now, effectual calling is also sometimes referred to as irresistible grace, Uh, the I in the TULIP acronym, which we sometimes use to um, summarize the doctrines of, of Calvinism or Reformed theology, Uh, we say that uh, grace is irresistible in the sense that uh, God's saving work overcomes whatever resistance we might set up against it. So that uh, when the Holy Spirit comes to change a person's nature, the person who was elect in Christ before the foundation of the world, that person cannot put up any barriers to resist the call. You think about Saul on the road to Damascus, who hated God. Who, that didn't hate God, we might say, but hated Christ, whom God sent. Right? Hated the Lord Jesus and sought to persecute the church. But the very moment when he received that effectual call on the road to Damascus, he went from darkness to light, from being blind to being able to see, from death to life, that was the effectual call. Call that Saul received at that very moment. And so those who are effectually called are those who were predestined unto life from before time. And uh, what we mean when we talk about those who are effectually called is that they are called in time by the word that goes out, by the gospel that is preached and by the Spirit who makes that word effectual at the moment of its going out. And so if we think about how all of world history is a stage on which this uh, drama of redemption is, is being displayed for the glory of God and, and it's is taking place that God might be glorified and that his church might be gathered in, we see that when this gospel message goes out, it is made effective by the word that it is, that it contains, and by the spirit who makes that call effectual. The Westminster Confession of Faith explains that by his spirit, God enlightens our minds to understand the gospel. He softens our hearts to love Christ, and he also renews our wills to embrace Christ in new ways obedience. And so in his appointed time, God effectually calls the elect through the means of his word and spirit. And loved ones, this should uh, cause us to have great boldness and and assurance on our part when we pray for others and when we talk to them about Christ. Uh, Last week, especially, we looked at certain aspects of evangelism. And sometimes when we talk to our friends and neighbors about Christ, and you can kind of see them glazing over their eyes. You know, there's, there's so many questions that they have, and, and you can see sometimes even the resistance that they are putting up. But understanding that when the word goes out, and when that word is made effectual by the Holy Spirit, there is no resistance that any person could put up to God redeeming that person in time. And so when we pray for our children or our family members and friends, when we talk to them about Christ, we can trust that as we faithfully cast the seed, God is more than able, if it is his will, to draw them to himself. Well, thirdly, we see in our text the essence of discipleship. We see that when Philip was called, he was called for a purpose purpose. Um, Jesus specifically said to him, follow me. We see here this is the essence of discipleship that following Christ means to obey his word for you and for me today. One Bible dictionary defines this word follow used here by Jesus as meaning um, to cleave steadfastly to a person. It means to stick by them, to conform wholly to their example and the way that they live and to even die with them if need be. For Philip, when Jesus said, follow me, it was a literal call. Philip, I want you to follow me, to walk with me from this village to that village. As I preach, I want you to hear me preach so that you will be ready to preach when it comes time. I want you to see the work that I do so that when it is time for you to continue that work, you and the others will do so? For Philip, it was a literal call to walk with Jesus by his side. Loved ones, how do you and I follow Jesus today? What does this following of Christ look like? Well, one clear way is to obey his word, for you and I to obey his commandments. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 31, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, to abide in his word means to remain faithful to his teachings. It's, it's to learn from Christ and to obey Christ. And, and this is how, loved ones, we, we follow Christ. This is how we conform to his example. This is how... We learn from him. This is how we stick to him as disciples. We obey his word. We are conformed by his word. We are shaped by his word. Because if we think about it, uh, the the world is trying to get us to conform to its patterns and its ways, as the Apostle Paul explains in Romans chapter 12. The world is trying to get us to conform to its way of thinking, to its priorities, to the things that it values. And when I mean the world, I mean this evil age. Our sinful culture is is trying to get us to conform to its way of of thinking and feeling. We know, for example, that as Christians, um, we're no longer allowed to even think differently than Uh, our culture does. We see this especially with regard to human sexuality. You know, it used to be that as long as we didn't speak, for example, against homosexuality, uh, we were left alone. It was just kind of like, you know, let bygones be bygones. But now we see this dramatic shift in our culture that if a Christian doesn't speak positively about homosexuality, acceptingly, Uh, We are labeled as hateful and narrow-minded. Do you see how the culture is trying to get us to conform to its way of thinking, to adopt its priorities and its principles? This is just one example of the many ways that this evil age is seeking to make disciples, seeking to make us conform. But Jesus, loved ones, Jesus calls us out of this world to follow him. He calls us to be conformed to his image and his likeness as we see is taught in his word. He calls us to conform to him because he is the one who is the good shepherd who came, sought us out, and who has saved us. He is the one who has brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He has brought us from death in order that we might walk in the ways of life and joy and peace. All praise and all glory be to him. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, uh, we ask that you would uh, graciously grant that your word, which we have heard, may be inscribed inwardly on our hearts. Lord, as we receive your word meekly with pure affection, may our hearts be filled with love and reverence for you. Cause us, we pray, to bear the fruit of the Spirit and to uh, live in holiness, following your commandments. And we ask that it would uh, please you to use us to lead those who are lost uh, to Christ, those who are wandering and confused, that we might, uh, if it please you, be used by you uh, to lead them to truth. We pray all this for the honor and praise of Christ. Amen.